the, the reason I'm making the Republicans up is it's some Republicans who say we're not going to pay the bills. We just won't pay the bills, and that way we'll cut the budget. That is that's how Elon Musk is running Twitter. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Once more onto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will express our excitement about such things as a deficit tracker, the resource center of the U.S. Department of the Treasury, U.S. leading economic indicators, and other exciting bits of trivia and news. I hope that excited you as much as it excited me. Are you excited about this? I am. Actually, I am. I think it's pretty fascinating and it's liable to create a great deal of interesting things going on in the near future. All right. We have another question, not from John. This time it's from Steve. Uh, Steve, thank you for asking us a question. Uh, His question is in the subject line, deficit. President Joe Biden said that he reduced the deficit by $350 billion last year, if true, how so? Oh, boy. Um, This is one of those areas where we like to um, refer back to Samuel Clements, otherwise known as Mark Twain's reference to Benjamin Disraeli. There are three types of lies in order of severity. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. When you're talking about how much you've dropped the deficit, you really have to look to see what you're dropping from. So 2021 was the, it started, you're going to have to bear with me here. When you start talking government turns, 2021 started in October of, yes, of of 2020. Yes. I I know that's weird, but the, the, the government budget's weird. So we all knew that already. But it starts in October. Okay, so when when Biden says, I've reduced the deficit last year by $350 million, it's true. Billion. Um, billion. $350 billion. It's true. He did. He did. In um, From 2021, we were down greatly from 2020. What happened in 2020 again? Do you, do you remember anything weird happening in 2020? When there there were- was a mild uh series of uh, viral infections that yeah. swept across the and country. and did, do you recall that trump and biden then spent a huge amount of money on that mild little thing that happened that nobody yeah. cared about yeah. yeah yeah so when you come forward a year from that well wait a minute let me let me make a point here under the constitution the president may sign the bill uh-huh. is required to sign the bill the appropriations bill that says i'm going to spend this much money right well, I mean, he doesn't. But it is have the House to. of Representatives who is responsible for creating the bill. The Senate basically approves it, and the president signs it. So let's back up. It yeah. is. It is in fact starts in the House of Representatives. So, so okay. Yes. Uh, the the Biden administration presided over spending in his first year in office that was three hundred and fifty billion dollars. Then the last year in office of uh, Donald Trump. Okay, President Donald Trump, President Joe Biden. The problem with it is that the Biden administration started in January, but the year started four years before or four months before that. Uh, So it's really, really 
bad in any way possible to mark your data points at different start points and go forward with that. In in financial accounting, Biden would get an F, but so would Trump. <laughs> so it's all right. Hey, this this is I, I went back and looked at that article and it make it makes a great deal of sense if you think about it. His speech where he where he gives that this the speech yeah. and and the whole thing. Um it boils down to that the last budget signed by President Trump had a three hundred and fifty billion dollar larger deficit in it than the first budget signed by Joe Biden. Right. That's a fact. That's just a simple fact. Uh, and, yeah, and, now, that doesn't mean that Joe Biden spent that money, and it doesn't mean that Donald Trump spent that money, but for some reason, we still have our accounting wrapped up on who was president when that budget was passed, and that must mean that they did the spending. Um, and that's a tough thing, because Donald Trump spent a lot of money uh, or at least presided over a Republican Congress that spent a lot of money on on the pandemic. And then Joe Biden presided over a Democratic Congress that did the same thing. So who's to blame? Let's, let's get a broad brush out and just say politicians are to blame for giving us money. Oh, the horrors of being given money by the government. And they went into it, debt to do it. But come on, we're the people boils, that voted them in. It boils down to something very simple. And it's not very pleasant, and it doesn't make for good, good political speech mongering, but it's reality. And that is, in the United States of America, we collectively, we the people of the United States of America, elect representatives to the House, the, the Congress, the House of Representatives. And that set of representatives has consistently chosen for many, many years to give us more governmental benefits us collectively than they than we pay for in taxes. There's two ways to fix that. One would be to chop the governmental benefits, which would put the country into a depression and would virtually eliminate the armed forces. And matter of fact, some of the Republicans in the House who have who have been threatening, and since the re Republicans in the House only have, if they lose five votes, five or six votes, they can't pass a bill. And if we if they don't, this is a very important Wait, factor here. Before people think that you're just being vague here, five or six is the number because they have one vacant seat right now. They have a six seat majority, but one of the seats is vacant. So if so, five people are out one day on a vote, they don't have a majority. They're tied. But then the then the speaker, who is a Democrat, would would anyway. He's a Republican. That, the speaker's a Republican. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who's a Republican would step in and and. Break the, anyway, yeah. that's beside the point. The The issue is here that unless a new bill, we the, technically the United States has hit its debt ceiling. And as of uh, the 19th, the United States of America is shuffling money. And the primary place they're shuffling money from to cover the ongoing obligations that the United States, that the Congress of the United States has ordered the Treasury to pay. By law, the Treasury must pay them uh, since we have hit the debt ceiling is it is not funding federal retirements at the moment. And if, for instance, you have a TSP and you're working for the government and you've got it in the uh, C, is it the C, the G shares. Yeah, the G fund. There's no money going into that. You're just, they're just basically, you're giving money to the government that's using to spend on other and things right now and it's not putting any money back. They also have the ability in the G fund to liquidate it and tell you it's still there because it's giving you an IOU. So just right. uh, let's backpedal just a second. The G fund is an IOU from Congress. It's guaranteed well, from by Treasury. Congress. Um, well, yeah, the Treasury. 
But Congress instituted it in a law saying to the Treasury, you will create this type of lending instrument. Mm -hmm. They will put mm -hmm. it in there. The protections on that are as if the government was holding the money for you and they can spend it if they want and they'll pay it back because it's an IOU from the government. That's but, what it is. So they can say, okay, we'll pay it back at another time. We can dip in there and take money out of it and not just not put money into it. But if the law is there's not a new law passed that raises the debt ceiling, the Treasury is forbidden to put the money back in. Correct. This is the kind of thing that we're facing right now. And what we've got is a situation where the Congress, the House of Representatives, will have to pass a bill raising the debt ceiling. And they, if, if and it will basically, re the Republican majority will originate the bill if the Democrats don't like it and don't vote for it because it's got something in there like, we're. by the way, this is the thing that the, the small minority of Republicans have to, are threatening to do right now. It threatens to cut Social Security payments significantly, uh, which they have said that's what the primary thing they want to do is cut Social Security payments. So let's say they cut Social Security payments to balance the budget for Social Security, which it sounds like a fiscally responsible thing to do, but I don't think it's going to be real popular. But there's just a few of them that are going to do it. And they say, OK, we will not pass a new law until you cut Social Security payments. And the Democrats say, we're not going to cut Social Security payments. Well, then, then no the law whole, gets passed. The whole government shuts down. At some point, the Treasury runs out of ability to shuffle money from one pot to another, and we fail to meet our obligations and pay our bills as the United States of America, and we go into default. And that would cause a global disruption so large that it could easily lead to a world war. I know that sounds horrendous and alarmist, but it would. The, the, the global financial system runs on a foundation and that foundation is united states treasury obligations and you you run a foundation called the treasury obligation again pull out the dollar bill the dollar bill is a federal reserve note signed by the secretary of the treasury the united states of america promises to that this thing is worth a dollar and it is redeemable and they will they will back it 100 percent. but if they decide they don't want to pay their bills a note is a bill, and it's a Federal Reserve note. It's a note. The government owes you a dollar. And if the government decides not to pay its bills, then the, the banks that receive interest from Treasury uh, securities, the insurance companies that receive interest from Treasury securities, the countries that receive interest from Treasury securities won't get their they won't get their they won't get their payment. They won't get any money. This would it's never happened. Since the United States has been in since, since World War II, the effectively effective the backer and guarantor of financial transactions all around the world, which gives us tremendous power. But if suddenly we stop paying our bill, then the whole system doesn't have a foundation anymore. And it is the, the more I have looked into it, and the more I think about it, and the more other people think about it, the more horrendous it gets. Yeah. It, last just, week, let's just not do that, folks. Yeah. Last week, we talked a little about about why it is so hard to look in at the economy and say, are we heading to a recession or not? I mean, these leading indicators, the yield curve, they're negative. What does that mean? Why is it so many economists are saying, you know, 60%, 30%, 40% likelihood of being, why is there such a big spread there? Why is it that we can't just look at it and say what's going to happen? And I, I gave some of the variables that are completely unknown to everyone. What's the weather going to be like for the, the rest of January and February for the Northeast? Because a big winter storm hitting there, a bomb cyclone hitting there, 
could cause our economy to be much slower. This is an undergrad thing that I, I ask undergrad classes when I speak to them on this. Um, why is it that consistently the first quarter of the year we have such – so often that's the most likely to be negative as far as growth goes, negative growth, shrinkage, contraction. Why is it that we're having it so often in the first quarter? And I get all kinds of guesses about Christmas spending and about um, people not going out to eat. Or The reality is because it's cold in the winter and the snow slows down business. It's period. That's it. That's the whole thing. There's no deeper quantum. You don't have to get into business cycles. Or, you just, it's the weather cycle. And we don't know what the weather cycle is going to look like. And on top of that, something more unpredictable than the weather is Congress. What they did at the end of last year by adding information in for retirement plan stuff, it's still being digested by everyone. That could have positives. It could have negatives. It looks like a net kind of zero for the short term. But if they shut down the government and it stays shut down for two weeks, we could have a recession right now. <laughs> if they don't pay their bills, um, we, should, we could have a world depression. <laughs> so the, the importance of the largest government, the most powerful government in the world paying its debts in a timely manner, we, we, can't, we can't overstate that. It can't be said in extreme enough terms. And I think most people kind of sort of know it in the back of their brain. Oh, yeah, that would be a bad thing. It's a, it could be a very bad thing. Now, I have no way of giving a probability what, of whether or not Congress is going to shut down the government. It's because it's now up to just such a few number of votes to say no. We're talking about five people could disagree with this out of more than 400, and the entire economy shuts down. <laughs> not the whole economy, just the government. Um, it's not a good thing. Um, yeah, so that, that's our look at that. This is a bigger risk on our radar than a bomb cyclone uh, followed by another bomb cyclone in the Northeast. And those are big events in the economy. Uh, I, I wish, I guess this is kind of like comparing an asteroid to the size of Rhode Island or something. It's not, you can't really compare it to a Rhode Island. Is it just the surface of Rhode Island? Is it trying to measure impact and saying, this is what that would be like. Two big bomb cyclones, a big hurricane. The floods in California aren't good for the economy. Uh, and that kind of flood tends to happen more often in the first and second quarters, but more often the first than the second. So all that being said, we might have a headwind we didn't know about. We might have a massive issue that we weren't expecting if Congress just does its normal congressional malacting. I don't even know. It's just normal disagreements could right now put us into a recession. And that's not to scare everybody. It's just to say that's a big thing in the, in the economy. Well, the majority leader, um, sorry, the minority leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell said, we're not going to default on the debt. It's never happened. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen this time. The problem is, I don't know how much influence he has over the 10 or so 
the House. Yeah, Donald Trump. Members of the House of Representatives. Donald Trump has shown that he doesn't, the, the, the 10 in the House that have blocked everything up till now, they, the, the big speaker vote where they were, uh, McCarthy was up for vote and it took 11 votes to make him speaker and that hasn't happened for like 150 years to go that far and it was 10 people in the House. And they are the most extreme Donald Trump supporters of the House, or what I would have said Donald Trump supporters before, the MAGA concept. Except that in the middle of that crazy election battle, Donald Trump came out on video and said, support Leader McCarthy for the speakership. And they still went six votes without supporting him. So Donald Trump just came out yesterday and says and said, don't stop making Social Security payments. Don't stop making Medicare payments at Congress. Don't cut those things. And it's a demonstration of him vocally coming out and saying, don't do that. He may attack the people that are doing it. But the people that are saying the stuff that he's saying don't do are his biggest supporters in Congress. Well, they were. They were. Now they're supporting a, a different thing. And this is, this is the transition in the political world. Donald Trump has been away from the seat of government. He's been in Florida instead of D.C., and his focus has been on lawsuits and on uh, the stolen election. And D.C.'s moved on. So in this next part of the political season, watching to see if his power and support has waned or grown in D.C., we're able to point at some things and say, all right, it's even less predictable than usual. Donald Trump is unpredictable. His supporters were pretty predictable in that they supported him, and now we're looking at it going, oh, we don't even know that anymore. Let's, let's come back to the basics here. And I got an email from John Carter, our representative, yesterday. And he, wanted, he was doing a poll to say whether uh, I wanted to support using the debt ceiling as a lever to reduce federal spending. And I said, no, I suspect most of his people he sent this to said yes. Well, let me let me explain what's saying yes. If, if you had the power to say we're not going to raise the debt ceiling until we get Congress and the president to do something that they don't want to do that we want them to do. That is, and Jake has used this analogy several times, and it's a good one. It is like you have a husband and wife, and one of them is fiscally responsible, and one of them isn't. And one of them has spent a lot of money on credit cards. Actually, in this case, they both spent a lot of money on credit cards and they decide it's time to cut the budget. It's time to stop spending so much money. It's time to stop increasing our debt. So we're just not going to make the credit card payments or we're not going to make the mortgage payments on the house. Uh, not a smart way to cut your budget. Uh, it really boils down to the fact that Various Congresses and presidents, including, and in, in, in this particular case, since the Democrats are the ones getting the blame in the email I got yesterday, including President Trump and the Republican majority Congress during his first two years of office, did some humongous spending bills. They spent a lot of money and they didn't raise taxes. Matter of fact, they lowered taxes while they were raising spending. Which we, it, they, yeah. they were really proud of, and they thought it was a good idea, and so on. I won't argue the economics of that right now. But the bottom line to it is the Republicans and President Trump incur spent a lot of money and borrowed a lot of money to spend that money, and it made a lot of people happy. Then the to Democrats along, did it, too. And so oh, we're, sure. we're, we're not, yeah, we're not trying not, to stomp on the Republicans here. We're just saying, look, they're both, both members of the spousal organization here. Are yes, spending absolutely. credit card money, and now they're having the budget talk, and one of them is saying, "Let's just not pay the credit cards." 
the, the reason I'm making the Republicans up is it's some Republicans who say we're not going to pay the bills. We just won't pay the bills and that way we'll cut the budget. That is that's how Elon Musk is running Twitter. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a very, very dangerous thing to do. And and I think what Mitch McConnell said, it's never happened. Uh we've never done this. Don't worry about it. Well, I, I am going to worry about it, and it hasn't ever happened. And there's a reason it's never happened in the history of the United States. It's because we pay our debts. If we choose to stop paying our debts in order to force a cut in the budget, it is exactly the equivalent of shooting yourself in the head to stop a headache. Yeah, and both of us are in full recognition. Too much debt is bad. If the government gets too much bad, that, that, that is not good. Defining what too much debt is, we're open to talking about that, saying, all right, well, debt is needed to keep the world stage in place. If it totally balanced the budget, we might be in a recession or a deep depression. There, I mean, like crazy. It's like we would have to cut so much spending to do that. It would be draconian. The government would basically just fire a bunch of people and stop paying Social Security and to get us to a balanced no. budget. We wouldn't have a defense if we went to just paying Medicare and Social Security. We don't have enough money to pay the rest of the stuff. If we, And Jake has pointed this out on several occasions, and I want to commend him. He was the first person that alerted me to this, and I researched it, and it is absolutely true. If we took the total tax revenue of the United States, we would not be able to afford Medicare, Social Security, and defense. It doesn't cover that. Those three spending items combined is larger than our tax revenue. That's it. Right. No more than so, that. If we want the government to continue to do what it's doing, and I mean, I'm not talking about the tiny little hundreds of a percent that we spend on foreign aid and things like that. I'm talking about our big, waste or the, anything else. The big, the big stuff. stuff that we want them to do. If we want them to do that and we don't want to incur a deficit every year, all we have to do is raise our tax base so that everybody pays about 50% of everything they make to the government. That's not going to work very well. It's not going to be popular. But that's what we're talking about. If you have an expectation that the, that, that the U.S. government continues to do the stuff that most people kind of want them to continue to do, even the Democrats don't want to cut defense right now. The Republicans don't want to cut Social Security and Medicare. So where do you, I mean, those three are the totality uh, and more of our tax revenue. You either well, have are, to raise that or go ahead. There are a few Republicans. Yeah. And that's the point. A few, what I would consider to be radical Republicans who've been recently elected who do want to cut Social Security right. and Medicare. And there are a few Democrats that want to cut the, the defense spending. Right. And there's a few Republicans that want to cut defense spending. There are some that say we shouldn't have troops anywhere in the rest of the world and keep them just back here. Um, and, and that's a respectable position. We would have a lot more chaos in the world if that occurred. That's well, just a given. We learned a lesson the last time we tried that, which was in the 1930s. Uh, we tried bringing everybody home and not being involved in the rest of the world until the rest of the world sunk a bunch of battleships in Pearl Harbor. And they said, hey, and then, you, you're involved now. And the point is, we made a decision strategically at that point 
that we would extend our defense lines out into the rest of the world so that the United States would not come under attack again. Now, if you disagree with that, that's fine. I, 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 it's a respectable position to disagree with having troops throughout the world to say, hey, we shouldn't be involved. We need to be back on our own shores. But at the same time, you have to recognize that change would destabilize the planet. I don't mean the orbit. I mean the the human leadership all over the world would change drastically. Russia would take that as with a big smile on their face. China would take that with a big smile on their face. So that's the, that is the deal. There's two sides to this. You can say let's cut defense and bring everybody home. That's going to destabilize. We're going to have other economic consequences. We can cut back on Social Security and Medicare. That's going to destabilize. There's going to be economic consequences. We can raise the taxes. That's going to destabilize. So there are no easy answers. That's what we're coming at. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. There isn't a magic bullet here that says this is going to balance the budget, bring the debt down, bring the taxes to a place where we don't have to be in debt all the time. All of that. The reality is that as long as we're busy pointing the figure at somebody else and saying they're the reason, it's kind of like sitting in traffic saying, man, I hate traffic. Uh, breaking news, you are traffic. <laughs> sitting in traffic means you are the thing you hate. Everybody else is looking at you as the problem and you're looking at everybody else as the problem. And that's true for us all. We have to look at it from a bigger picture. We have to step back and stop pointing a finger at each other and saying, you're wrong and I'm right, and that's the reason why everything's broken. Um, yeah, go ahead. I know I read that's it. not economic. Now I'm in like Jackie Chan morality to the street thugs. I um, read a very interesting article and then a series of studies about the Laffer curve last week. Uh-huh. And we should the experiments with the Laffer curve. I'll tell you what the Laffer curve. Basically, the Laffer curve. Arthur Laffer came up with this idea during the Reagan administration that, and it makes perfectly good sense, that if you have zero taxes, the government gets zero revenue. Yeah, that makes sense. If you tax at a hundred percent, the government gets zero revenue because nobody would pay the taxes. Yeah, everybody would go to so work and just have a black market for it. You don't pay everything you make to the government. There's somewhere between zero and a hundred percent taxation. There is a point where the government gets maximum revenue. His thought, and the Reagan and the Reagan administration, they they followed that, raising the deficit rather dramatically, by the way, is that if you lower taxes, you will increase revenue. Now, actually, that worked at one point. John Kennedy, president of the United States, convinced the Democratic majority in the House and the Senate to lower taxes. Uh, there's another point it worked as well. When's it, when else did it work? The Clinton administration presided over a rise in the capital gains rate, which lowered revenue to the government for capital rate gains and also the lowering of the capital gains rate. So if you think that Bill Clinton only raised taxes, he both raised and lowered taxes, which yeah. makes – So when he lowered taxes, revenue for capital gains increased for the government. So there's, well, other, there's a couple of points in history we can point out and say we were clearly on the wrong part of the curve. The governor of Kansas tried this too, by the way. He lowered taxes, endorsed by Arthur Laffer in his lowering of taxes in the state of Kansas with the intent of raising revenue. And in fact, what he did was dramatically lower revenue. Uh, and there's, so there's been some really good studies. Uh, another, to figure out a, a quick way to think of this is if you're selling sandwiches and you raise the price of the sandwiches and it doesn't affect 
the number of sandwiches that are being sold. They're like, oh yeah, an extra nickels, no big deal. I'll do that. That's fine. You just raised your revenue and you really haven't had a negative impact. You raise it to a certain point and people stop buying sandwiches. But if mm-hmm. if the people that are still buying sandwiches are paying enough extra that it makes up for those that aren't paying for the sandwiches anymore, it still looks good. But the number of sandwiches is dropping. The amount of money you're making might be going up, but the number of sandwiches is dropping. At some point, you're going to raise the prices and people stop buying sandwiches, which means by trying to make more money, you made significantly less. And you're going to you're going to think this is really odd, but the studies that looked at governments around the world and looked at fluctuations in taxation that people have done around the world concluded that the Laffer point, the point where the maximum revenue comes to the government, you're going to think this is crazy, is somewhere between 60 and 70% of income goes to taxes. And here's the, here's the other crazy point. That Laffer point moves every year, and you only know where it is about two years later. So in a recession, raising taxes can cause the, re- the revenue to go down drastically. It can put people out of business. Mm-hmm. And in a booming economy, lowering taxes can raise revenue. But if you're in the boom and you lower the taxes right as the recession hits, you just lowered your revenue. And, and so it's not easy. It's a lot of moving parts. And well, the reality is that Congress doesn't care about the Laffer curve. The important point I, that I extracted from that, and this, this came out in every literally every study, of the major developed countries in the world, the country with the lowest federal rate, federal income tax rate, or federal rate in general, is the United States, which I thought was sort of interesting. Yeah. When you look at benefits and all of the different forms of taxation, local, state, schools, all that stuff, add it all together, and we pay less taxes, significantly less than Denmark or Sweden or Germany or Singapore or, uh, get this, Ghana. Ghana. Yeah, so it's weird to think about because we don't generally combine all our taxes into one thing and then compare all of that against the combined taxation of somewhere else. Um, but, But that's it. The reason I want to bring this up, and it relates to what we've been talking about. If we want to lower the deficit, it's very simple. We have to raise taxes. You can't get more money at this point in our in our taxation scheme. You can't get more revenue by lowering taxes. This has been tried. We've tried that, and it didn't work. Uh, one of the reasons, and I hate to bring this up because it does sound sort of political. What was the the act? The, was it secure? No. Which the one? act passed uh, by signed by President Trump that he was so proud of Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has been shown. Every study that's looked at it so far says it increased the deficit. It didn't reduce the deficit as was hoped. There's yeah. a great deal of hope that and if we, we reduce taxation, you will increase the cash flow to the yeah. government. In fact, it decreased the cash flow. We, to the government. we tracked that year by year for the following couple of years, and and we were clear when we were doing it. Both of us had our taxes dropped by this. We experienced benefit by having lower mm-hmm. taxes, but at the same time, for the amount of revenue coming to the country, the GDP growth, the tax revenue didn't grow with that. And then when we hit slowdowns, the tax revenue shrunk faster than the GDP. So that's that's what we're talking about. And so again, if somebody objects to the deficit, the issue, the, the, the solution to, the, to us spending too much money in the United States is really simple. 
spend less money or raise taxes. And if you say, well, we'll spend less money. Well, who, what do you want to spend less money on? And somebody says, well, okay, food stamps. Well, in fact, the food that's given to in relatively indigent poor people has been shown again and again and again to cut the costs long-term to the United States. And I can go into that in detail if you want to. The bottom line to it is we need to raise taxes if we don't like the deficit. And people don't want to raise taxes. So that's the reason Congress keeps voting for a deficit. It is us. It's like Pogo Opossum said, we have met, we has met the enemy and he is us. So it's kind of an interesting each side blaming the other for it. And in fact, look in the mirror. That's why we have a big deficit because we want a strong defense. We want good social security payments. We want good Medicare payments. Those of you who are retired military, retired federal employees or teachers, you want good income. Well, unfortunately, all of that boils down to the fact that governments have to spend money and they're spending more money than they take in as taxes. Is it fatal to continue to do that? No. Why do I say that? Japan has a very stable economy, a very stable currency, seems to be doing quite well with a national debt, meaning their, their, their central government owes 250% of their revenue in total debt. We are around 100% right now. So is it suicidal to be at this point? Not necessarily. Do we need to balance things out going forward? Probably. But if we're going to do that, we either have to cut one of the big ones, Social Security, Medicare, or defense, or all three, or we have to raise taxes. The other option is to continue to spend a lot more money than we bring in. So there it is in a nutshell, and it's not very pleasant, and it wouldn't make for a good political speech, but it's just true. All right. So uh, we're good on a segue here. So what else do we have to talk about? Turkey? We're going to talk a little bit. I know it's not even Thanksgiving, but we are, uh, we've got some interesting stuff coming up in Turkey. Uh, what's going on in the oil market, in the housing market? There's a lot of news that we haven't touched yet, but we'll do that when we come back from uh, our break. If you'd like to join the conversation, our email addresses in here are ready, willing, and able. Uh, you can send an email to Jake, and preferably both, jake at tpwc.com and jeff at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or The Personal Wealth Coach, and we'll be back on the other side of these very important announcements. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is and it's less disclosureable it takes less time to do if it's just the same name so we've been doing this program here uh on this in, on this station 1400 a.m in temple since 1996 we've been doing this a long time and 
we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also <laughs> have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve that's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades. Uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.